0: Anytime uh, we get news like this, I know that uh, it's very difficult and, and just uh, fear comes in and, and just discouragement, and so we just want to pray for Camilita that she would just stand strong in the Lord, keep her eyes on Him, and just trust in Him that He is doing a, a work even through this, even though when we can't see it, we know that He is working. So why don't we pray, and let's lift it up. Lord, we want to just come to you lord whenever we have burdens lord your word tells us to cast them to you lord because you love us lord you tell us when, any, when any, whenever anyone is sick lord to to lay hands on them and the prayer of faith will bring healing lord and this is what we come to you in lord anointing her with oil lord knowing that our prayers lord will be heard and our prayers of faith lord move in a powerful way lord and we just pray for carmelita lord that you would bring healing to her lord Lord, whatever that may be, Lord, we pray for that your will would be to just take away the cancer, Lord, that it would be wiped out, Lord, and she would be completely healed from it, Lord, and we pray in your perfect will through that, Lord, but through this, we know that, that, Lord, that sometimes your will isn't, that it immediately go away, but one thing that we pray for her until it is gone, Lord, we do pray that you would give her the grace to endure, that you would give her the strength to continue to move on that she would have her eyes focused on you, Lord, that she would not be fearful, that she would not be discouraged, Lord, but that she would trust in you as your word tells us to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. That is what we pray for Carmelita, Lord, that she would draw near to you, Lord. And through all of this, Lord, may you be magnified and glorified, strengthen her, Lord. Lord, we know that uh, you use these things, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. You use these things, Lord, to encourage others, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that Carmelita would walk right into your perfect will and to do the things that you're calling her to do in and through this. Lord, we pray for that healing, Lord, and we know that you can. For there is no one greater than you. And we know by a spoken word you can do these things. And we pray in faith that, that we know that you can, Lord. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in uh, first, first John, we are in First John chapter 3, and uh, we didn't pray for the message, so I'm going to pray for the message, and then uh, we'll get into the word and just hear what the Lord has for us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, again for your glorious word. We know that your words are words of life. We know that without your word, Lord, we can't live, and so we just pray that we would receive what you have for us today, Lord, that we would receive all that you have, that we would allow it to take root within our hearts, that we would allow it to just become a part of who we are. Lord, your word is so awesome. Your word is just so amazing. And, Lord, let us receive it all with hearts that are open and hearts that are fertile, Lord, to you. So we thank you. We love you. Speak to us now. Speak to us loud and clear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we all know, today is communion. And uh, it's awesome to know that uh, we get to celebrate uh, God's love. Uh, we get to celebrate exactly what He did for us. We, we are, we're going to be examining, actually, the love of God today. We're going to be examining, you know, what His love is. And actually, we're also going to look at our response to it. You know, we know that uh, God loves us and we... You know, we talk about this, but do we truly comprehend it? And I think God wants us to come to a place of, of understanding it and, and of just knowing what it is. And if we understand it, then, then it's going to move us into living a life that is transformed, living a life that is so different than the life that, that we used to live. You know, if anyone ever doubted God's love or misunderstood the love of God, or maybe some here have been trying to earn the love of God. I pray today that you're going to walk away with a different understanding of it, the clarity that is in His love. As we know, love starts with God. It must, we must understand that that love starts with God. And we know that it also does not start with us. It starts with Him and only Him. And this is where it all begins, as we know in John three sixteen. We all know this verse very well. The verse tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. As we see here and as we read here, that love begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. It doesn't even start with us, but it starts with Him. And we know that in Him, there is no end of this love. You and I are so loved by God. I want us to walk away knowing today that we are so loved by God. We may not even know this, but we are truly loved by God. His love is so great, and this is what we celebrate today, that He was willing to die for you and for me. He died for our sins. And as we think about this, and as we talk about it, how do we respond to that love? You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to it? And this is the title of today's message, Responding to His Amazing Love. And with that, I want to begin in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. You know, as we stop there, I want to talk about this verse. You know, I want to talk about the first portion of the verse. It talks about what manner of love. You know, as I've been talking about this amazing love that God has for us, this amazing love is actually validated by what he calls us. And what has he called us? As it says there, he calls us children of God. He calls you and I a child of God. Have you ever thought to yourself that it is an honor and a privilege to be called a child of God? I don't know if we ever think about that. But God wants to reveal to us that, you know what, as we are children of God, that it is an honor and a privilege for him to be calling us this. It's not being called by just anyone else. We are called children of God by the creator, by the maker of this world, by God himself. And He's telling us that we belong to Him. This is when He calls us children. This means that we're His children. This means that we belong to Him and to no other. You know, God's love, when we think about God's love, as we're going to be talking about it, God's love is incredible. You know, God's love is unbelievable. It is stunning. It is just fascinating. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's just, you know, it's just so, so amazing. And we could keep talking about it. And this is what God wants to share with us. And what's so awesome about this is that it has been reserved for you and for me. This is what, ben, this is what he reserves for us. He reserves his love and everything that comes with it. I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah 31.3. And in Jeremiah 30, 31.3 it says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. When we look at this or when we hear this, He is saying that his love is everlasting. What he's saying is that my love for you lasts forever. It has no end. Do we ever think about that? Do we ever think that God's love lasts forever? And what he's trying to say here is that his love doesn't stop at any point. In other words, you know what? It doesn't stop because of anything that I do. Did you know that when you're bad, that God's love doesn't stop for you? It remains. Did you know that when you behave wickedly or evil, it doesn't stop? Did you know that when you're behaving selfishly, His love doesn't stop? Did you know that when you fall short, His love doesn't stop? Did you know that when you mess up, His love doesn't stop? You know, the Word of God, as we read right now, it tells us that He still loves you. He has an everlasting love for you. And to get a better sense of this, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 8. You know, as we get into Romans chapter 8, you know, it talks about the love of God. It talks about this everlasting love. And we're going to begin to read in verse 35. In verse 35 of Romans 8, it says there, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter." There is nothing that can separate the love of God for you. You know, God loves you and there's nothing that is created. There is no person. There is nothing that can separate you. And the staple to this is in verse 39 where he says that, nor any other created thing. He's talking about, you know what, if I haven't mentioned anything here, no other created thing can separate you from the love that I have for you. You know, when we think about this, right? This covers our mess-ups. This covers the things that, that that we do wrong. You know, as I mentioned earlier, how many of us in this place today, how many of us are trying to earn His love? How many of us today are doubting His love? How many of us may not even know that God loves us? Or many may be thinking that, You know what? Has God stopped loving me? You know, these are the things that go through our mind. And these things, I want you to know, are lies of Satan. Because these are contrary to his word. You know, what we celebrate today is is a perfect example of his love. It is love that is displayed in the action of Jesus Christ. You know, as he allowed himself to be crucified as he allowed himself to take the price of our sins, he allowed himself to be sin for us because of his love for us. I think that many of us would agree that a great sign of love is to give one's life for another. How many of us think about this, right? When we, when we know that a mother or father give their life for their children, I think that many of us would say, you know what? That's amazing love, isn't it? Or when you know that a friend, a friend is willing to save your life by risking his own, what would you say? You know what, that's amazing love, isn't it? This is what God did for us. And you know what, and he knew exactly what he was going to go through. But he was willing to come down He was willing to endure the cross because of his love for us. And this is the love that we're talking about. And if we go to the second verse here, the second point in 1 John, he says that therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. You know, it talks about the fact that the world doesn't know us as children of God. Why is it that the world doesn't know us as children of God? Because they are clueless when it comes to God. Understand this. The world is clueless when it comes to God. How many of us were clueless when it came to God before we surrendered our lives to the Lord? Give me a show of hands. How many of us were clueless about God? I think we knew the name of God and I think we knew that there was a God. But deep down inside, did we know who God was? Did we understand who God was? We were clueless about God. And so when we think about this, right? As children of God, if we're children of God, then the world's going to be clueless about that. You know... Before you came to know the Lord, I think many of us have heard of people that were called Christians, right? I think we knew some Christians. And how many, you know, or, or when you happen to see them, did it cross your mind and say, "Ooh, man, look, there is a child of God. You know what? This person is just, you know what? That's who I want to be. That's what I want to be like. You know what? That's who I want to be. I don't think any of us had these, these, these things going through our mind. You know what? We didn't have any idea of God. So why would we even be astonished by a child of God? As I mentioned earlier, for us to think it, that it is an honor and a privilege to be called a son of God. You know what? We don't even think before we became believers to give such importance to anybody but this is the truth because you and I we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords you and I belong to a God who is sovereign a God who is majestic a God who is magnificent a God who is mighty a God who is loving a God who is gracious a God who is forgiving a God who is compassionate a God who is merciful A God who is like no other. And most of all, a God who is alive. This is who we belong to. You know, when I think about this, you know, people are clueless to God. And people are clueless to children of God for the time being. And I say for the time being because let's read verse 2 as it reveals the truth of what we will be. In verse 2 it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You know, us as children of God, How is it that you and I become a child of God? You know, it's very important, and this is very doctrinal, what I'm going to share with you right now. It's important for us to understand how to become a child of God, because many out there in the world will call themselves children of God, but yet they haven't done the one requirement that is needed, and that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to be a child of God is to place your faith in him, to believe in him, to believe in the one who came to earth, to believe in the one who died for our sins, to believe in the one who rose from the dead. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ in this one, then you are a child of God. John doesn't want us to forget that as he mentions that here. But when we look at ourselves, right? You know, Jesus can identify us. Jesus can see us, right? God can see us. The Holy Spirit lives within us and He knows that we're children of God, but the world doesn't know that we're children of God. What markings do we have that we belong to the Lord? Yes, we have the Spirit of God living in us, but can the world see the Spirit of God that lives in us? You know, when I look at my children, when you look at you know, my oldest, Tony, Adrian, Carissa, and now my little baby, Selah. You know, when you look at my four kids, you know, you can see them and they have characteristics and features like Nancy and myself. So you can say, you know what? Yeah, I can see that they belong to Tony and Nancy. But when it comes to children of God, you know what? Do we have features Do we have an outward appearance like the Lord? See, the markings of God, we're going to receive those markings. Today we have a marking that God can see and that we can acknowledge in in your lifestyle. But there's going to be a time in the future, as John says, that we shall be like him. What does this mean? You know, when we think about this, right? John is saying that, you know what? That the child of God is going to be like him. He's going to be like him, for we shall see him and as he is. What John is talking about here, this is an amazing point that will take place. It will be a point in time that is just going to be just so far out. It's going to be so radical. It's going to be just so unbelievable, but it's going to take place. There is going to be an amazing transformation that takes place in you and in me. And I want to read about this for us to comprehend it. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 51. In verse 51, Paul reveals a mystery, meaning something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but something has been now revealed to the church. And this is what he means by mystery. Mystery. He says, you know, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, those that are alive, shall be changed. What we are talking about here is a rapture of the church. This is what John was talking about when he said that we shall be like him. This is what he's referencing here. He says, for those of us that, or for those that have died and have gone to heaven, those that have been united with Christ already, their bodies will be changed. And then for those that are alive during the rapture of the church, which can't take place at any time now, and we are eagerly awaiting this, we shall also be changed. In other words, there's going to be a change in all of us. Our bodies will be transformed. Our bodies will become incorruptible. Our bodies will become or will have a glorified state. Our bodies will now have a power that it didn't have before. You know, this body that I'm talking about is the same body that Jesus Christ had when he rose from the dead. We're going to have that same body. Can you believe that? This is what he's talking about that we shall be like he is. We're going to have that same body, that same resurrected body. It is going to be just an amazing transformation. In verse 53, it talks about it. It says, for this corruptible, meaning our corruptible flesh, our bodies, the way you see them today, must put on incorruption. They will not perish. They will not corrupt. They will live forever. And it says, and this mortal must put on immorality. You know, this is just an amazing transformation that takes place in the body of believers. And for us to get a better sense of what it is, let's turn to verse 35. And let's talk about this glorious body. Let's talk about this new body that you and I are going to receive. It says in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, when you sow, is not what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each its own seed. You know, when we talk about seeds, right? Have you ever planted seeds or planted planted seeds, planted a plant or a tree, or and you put seeds into the ground? Did you know that in order for something to grow that the seed must die? It 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 dies, it it falls apart, and, and something new comes out, right? This is sort of the idea that that Paul is telling us that the Lord wants to reveal to us. It continues to say in verse 39. It says, All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. In other words, there's all kinds of various fleshes out there. Verse 40 goes on to say, There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So there's different things here he's saying. And what he wants to talk about is, of course, our nature, what it will be. Verse 42 goes on to say, So also is a resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in, incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. And the second man is of the Lord from heaven. As was a man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is a heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne, as, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the dead, and the dead will be raised. For the trumpet will, be, will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, this is the awesome and amazing transformation that takes place in us. We shall have a body, a heavenly body, a glorious body, a transformed body, an incorruptible body, just like the one that Jesus has today. How many of us today are tired of our aging bodies? I think most of us are older in here. There's some young ones too. But the kids and the youth are in the other rooms. But I think the older we get, the more pain we have, right? The older we get, the more we begin to experience, you know what, ailing bodies. You know, we know that we're hit with ailments and with sicknesses. We know that, that our bodies were not made to live forever. But yet this body that we will receive, this transformed body, this glorified body, it is an amazing body that you and I will receive if we are sons of God. You know, as I think about this, this is a victory because we know that what we've done is deserving of death. But because of what Christ has done, we have victory. And we know that our bodies will be glorified and our bodies will be just as He is. But I want to this by saying that our bodies will not be one of deity meaning one as God as he is but it will be a glorified body a transformed body just as his let's keep reading in verse 3 as he says here and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as He is pure. You know, I want to talk about this. You know, as we've been looking at God's amazing love, as we examine the love of God, a love that has no ending, a love that is displayed as we celebrate today, the the cross, I told you, how are we to respond to this love? we have here in verse 3 the answer to it. What John is telling us in verse 3 is that we should desire to live holy lives. That we should purify ourselves. That we should be holy and righteous. I want us to know one thing. That it is God's desire that we would also desire to live holy lives. See, there's a difference that comes between having to and wanting to. And this is what I want to talk about now. What's important for us as believers? See, it is God's desire that we would desire to be holy that we would desire to be pure and righteous. See, many people in their walk with Christ, they think that they have to do these things. Or they say to themselves, as I mentioned earlier, this is the only way that I can earn the love of God. That isn't the truth. See, it is God that wants us to desire To live this way if he loved us so much and if he died on the cross for us right to show us his love then what should we do you know what God has given us so much I mean we just read about it right that you and I are gonna live throughout eternity right with glorified bodies with incorruptible bodies How should our response be to that? It should move us within our hearts to desire to live a life that is pleasing to Him. See, and it can't be because, you know what, I have to, or you know what, oh man, I guess I should. You know what, it has to be something that has to be desired within your heart. That's the difference. Knowing that all that you have received because of the Lord should move us. To live in this manner. To know that Christ is coming back and that we're going to have these glorified bodies should move us to desire to live a life that is pleasing to Him. See, none of us should ever come to a place of saying, you know what, I need to earn His love. None of us should come to a place of saying, you know what, I have to do it. When we look at the Lord... The love of God is already there. That's what we read. We just read that God loves you with an everlasting love. We just read that nothing can separate you from His love. And if this is the case, then that means even in your failures, in your mess-ups, in your shame, in your embarrassing moments, that God still loves you. And in knowing that He still loves you and your failures and your disappointments and your mess-ups, that should move you to love Him even more. How many of us, you know what, when we've disappointed somebody, somebody that is so dear to us, when they show us their grace and their mercy, when they're willing to accept us no matter what, And they love us even when we betrayed them. You know what? This is an unending love. This is an undying love. This is an everlasting love. It should just move us now into a place of wanting to please them. Not because we have to or because we want to earn their love. It should just be there within our hearts. See, when we think about this, See, if loving God because we have to or because we want to earn it, it's not going to be long lasting. But if it's within our hearts, when we want to do it, we know that we will. It has to be a matter of the heart. And our response should be to desire to please Him, to live as He has called us to live, to live a life of holiness, of purity. I'm going to give you an illustration, and I hope this hits home. I remember as a youth, and I think many of us did the same thing, when you knew your parents weren't going to come home for the weekend. and you laugh because you remember before you came to know the Lord, okay? And you knew your parents were gonna be gone. What would you say? It's time to party up, right? My parents aren't home. You start making phone calls and you start inviting friends and you start saying, hey, come on down, party at my house. I remember when my parents went away, my brother and myself, man, we just said, you know what, let's have an amazing party. And that's what we did. We had an amazing party that was just like, you know what? For the world, they would say, man, that is a great place to be. But when you knew your parents were coming home, right? They say, you know what? We're just going to be gone for a few hours. What would you do? You wouldn't be doing those parties, right? You wouldn't be inviting friends. This is what John is telling you. The Lord is coming back soon. The Lord is going to come back. Why do you want to live in a manner that isn't pleasing to the Lord? Think about everything that He's done. Think about the love that He's displayed to you. Think about all that is in store for you. Why? We should live We should have a desire to live, to please Him. This is the response that God wants from us. Let me share this. God is coming soon. In the world that we live in today, we know this to be a fact. The signs of the times are here. The times that the Lord spoke on. So why do we want to live this way? You know, as we keep reading on in verse 4, it says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. I want to explain to you this scripture here. Because as we read it here, as we can see it, it says, well, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Lawlessly. Lawlessness is, is, is rebelling against the laws of God. It's, it's transgressing. It's, it's not doing the laws of God. It's, it's going against Him. He's saying, so whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. But you and I sin, right? I mean, we, even though we're believers, we stumble and we fall. It's not that we're planning to do this. It's just that, you know what? It happens because we're still in this flesh, and, and somehow we just can't stop and... And we just mess up. So does this mean that we rebelled against God? That we want nothing to do with Him? What John is trying to say here is that who's ever practicing sin, not whoever stumbles into sin, whoever is practicing sin also commits lawlessness. If you are practicing sin, then you are rebelling against the laws of God. See, John told us in John in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through 8 through 10 and I'm going to read it to you. It says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we know here for a fact, you know what, John is acknowledging that, you know what, he's talking to believers here and he knows that, you know what, we're going to sin. So when he talks about committing sin, he's talking about those that are practicing sin. I want to talk about sin. See, because this isn't what God wants us to do, right? God's, Hope is that we would not desire to sin. But we know one thing about sin. Sin is a root of transgressions and lawlessness. What I'm trying to say is that sin is a root of it all. And sins are the outcome. And what do I mean by this? If you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, it will give you clarity of what I'm talking about. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, it talks about sin and how sin has entered this world. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned." See, what happened here is that through Adam and Eve, Sin entered the world. And many will say, you know what? If I was there, I wouldn't do what Adam did. I don't think so. You would have done the same thing that Adam did. And because of Adam and Eve, you know what? Sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, it spread to all men. It's important for us to understand that you and I are born into sin. Okay, this is how we are. We are born sinners, okay? And this is because of sin that entered through, as we read here in Romans. Verse 5 goes on to say in 1 John 3, it says, but keep your hand on Romans 5 because we're going to come back to it. It says, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. You know, as we look at this, right, it tells us that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he came into this world to take away sin. This was, one of his pur- this was a purpose that he had, right? The purpose of his first coming was to take away sin. But many of us say, but sin's still here. How could he say that? He's not saying that sin would disappear. But he is saying that the condemnation and the punishment of sin would be taken away. This is what he's talking about. And as we turn back to Romans 5, we're going to read this as it says here in Romans 5, verse 18. It says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, Judgment came to all men. That's what we were talking about, Adam and Eve. Resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, which is Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men. All men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Righteous. See, one thing about Jesus Christ, for those that place their faith in him, we are justified by his act. We are declared not guilty, is what justification means of the crimes that we committed. See, you and I, we know that we're sinners, we know that we've done things wrong. But we've been declared righteous not guilty we've been justified by god because of our faith in him and what's so amazing about this is that because god is righteous because the lord is righteous himself did you know that you and i are also made righteous the righteousness of christ is given to us it is now on our account And this is what imputed righteousness means. This is what you and I have now. And this is amazing. See, this is the love of God. We don't deserve this, but God freely gives it. You and I, when when God the Father looks at us, you know what he looks at? He doesn't look at sinful man. He doesn't look at sinful Tony. He doesn't say, you know what, Tony? You're that wretched sinner. What he looks at is he says, you are a child of God because of your faith in my son. This is who we become. This is what you call amazing love. This is amazing grace. We don't deserve any of it, but he freely gives it. As we read in verse 6, it says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever abides or lives is what it means or dwells in him, meaning in Jesus Christ, does not sin. And again, the translation here is, and he's not saying, you know what, once you sin, that means that you don't dwell and you don't abide in him. He's talking about the practice of sin. See, what John is trying to tell us, and this is for many in the church. What he is trying to say that is if you are practicing sin, if this is your lifestyle, you are fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. He's saying, you know what? You think that you know him, but you don't. Because Jesus is righteous. Jesus is without sin. And you're practicing this. You're making this your lifestyle. Even though you said a simple prayer of faith, You're only fooling yourself. Either you didn't truly surrender yourself to the Lord or you walked away from your salvation. Only God knows and only you know. Because if you didn't, then you wouldn't be living in this lifestyle. You wouldn't be practicing sin, which contradicts the very nature of who Jesus is. This is a message that John wants to tell us. The very nature of Jesus is righteousness. So why do you want to practice sin and say you belong to the Lord? You have no relationship with Him. This is what John is saying. You don't know Him because you practice sin. Because you do this. You think you know Him. But you don't. Verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. John is very clear on this. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. Many of you have been deceived by this. You're practicing sin and you think you belong to the Lord. He's saying, you know, false teachers are coming into the church and they're saying, you know what? The grace of God is sufficient. You know what? You could go on living in sin. He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by your flesh that is telling you, you know what? It's okay. God's going to understand to satisfy the cravings that I have. I need these things. And you know what? God is so compassionate and merciful that He's going to say, you know what? It's okay. John is saying, don't be deceived. For the believers that practice righteousness, that their desires to do what is right, their desires to live in holiness, in purity, He's telling us. You know what? You're going to practice righteousness. You're going to want to do this. This is your desire. Don't worry about stumbling. You know what? One thing about believers, I want you to know this. Believers are not sinless. I want you to know that. But one thing about believers is that we are sinning less and less. I want you to understand one thing that the evidence of your faith The evidence of whether you are a true child of God is a fact that your life is being transformed from glory to glory. The fact that you aren't sinning the way you used to sin. The fact that you're doing it less and less. If you continue to practice it, then John and the Lord is saying, don't be deceived. See, when it comes to us as believers, God wants us to desire to live a life that is pleasing to him. He goes on to say that he who sins is of the devil. You know, when we look at the devil, right? Was the devil created as the devil? I think we all know, and in case you don't know, the devil wasn't created as a devil. The devil was created as a beautiful cherubim. He was a beautiful angel. He doesn't have the little horns on his head. He doesn't have a little tail that that touches the ground. And he's not fiery red. He's none of that. Did you know that when you see him, you're going to be in awe of him? And you're going to say, you know what? This is the one that created all these problems in the world. He's going to be so beautiful. He was a cherubim angel that was in the presence of God. The problem with the devil was that he allowed sin to enter his heart. And as John talks about sin that commits transgression, lawlessness, it was that sin that brought pride and rebellion in heaven. And he decided to take a third of the angels with him And in taking a third of the angels with him, he now became the accuser, the slanderer, the enemy of God, the one that we talk about today. See, when Adam sinned, did you know that he handed over the deed of the earth to Satan to rule in this world? When he allowed himself to be tempted, when Adam and Eve both said, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's rebel against the command of God. They handed over the deed to Satan. And so this is what John is telling us. John says, you know what? Jesus not only came to take away the sins of the world, but he also came to destroy the works of the devil. See, Jesus came to destroy. It doesn't mean that Satan is destroyed. And I think we can all acknowledge that as we look in this world, right, we see that there is sin. So it can't be destroyed. We know that Satan still rules, he is the little G God of this world, he is in charge. Of this earth. Even though God is sovereign over all. And allowing him to do that. What John is trying to say. And what the word destroy means. It means to render inoperative. In other words. He has reduced the power of Satan. His weapons have been impaired. And I'm going to give you an illustration. And we don't have time to turn to it. But I do want to talk about it. And it's from Luke 11, verses 21 through 22. Jesus talks about a strong man. Jesus talks about this man that is fully guarding his palace. He says that he has his armor. He says that, you know what, that he is making sure that everything is well in his palace. And then Jesus describes a stronger man. A man that comes and overtakes a man that takes his weapon, that takes his armor, and he brings the spoils and he divides them. Do you know who that stronger man is? That stronger man is Jesus Christ. See, that stronger man, when he went to the cross, you know what he did? He invaded the palace called earth. And when he died, you know what he did? He broke the power of Satan. Satan. And every time a believer comes to Jesus Christ, the spoils are taken away from Satan. This is us. This is the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we're going to finish here in verse 9. It says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Understand this. When someone receives Jesus, when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, he is born again. How many of you heard this term before you came to know the Lord? You guys heard about being born again? Shaking of heads, raising hands, yes. Nicodemus came to the Lord. And Nicodemus, who was a teacher, who was well-schooled, He says, you know what, how is it that I can get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus told them, you must be born again. You cannot enter heaven if you just have the natural birth. Jesus told them, you need to be born of the Spirit. That which is of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. You need to have a new, new birth. This is what is called regeneration. Did you know what this new birth does? When you raise your hand and when you open your heart and you ask Jesus and you surrender yourself to Him, you know what happens to us? He gives you this new birth in order to enter into the spiritual realm. The things of the Spirit can only enter into heaven. And did you know what happens as we talked about? You become righteous. When you go in, when you face God the Father, He says, You are now righteous because of the righteousness that my Son gave you. You are justified. You are not guilty of the sins that you committed. You were sanctified, meaning you were set apart for God. You began to become like Jesus in your walk. Did you know that He also tells us that you will be glorified? What we read. The state that we talked about earlier, you will be like him. This is what happens when we are born again. This is the seed that he places in us. The old man dies, the new man lives. I'm going to read to you a scripture from 1 Peter one twenty-three. It tells us that when we are born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. So we also have a birth through the Word of God. I just told you that we are born of the Spirit. But there's also a birth that comes from the Word of God. Did you know that Christians have spiritual parents too? You know what are spiritual parents? The Word of God and the Spirit of God. This is what's so amazing. See, the flesh can only produce the things of the flesh. The Spirit can only produce the things of the Spirit. And this is a miracle of the new birth. See, for us, how is it that you and I can remain in the Spirit? I'm going to share this with you. In order for us to continue in the things of the Spirit, we must be feeding the Spirit. If you're not feeding the Spirit, then you're going to be feeding the flesh. And you may ask me, well, how is it that I'm feeding the Spirit? Or how is it that I can feed the Spirit? You want to know how? By reading the Word of God. You want to know how else you can do it? By conversing with God. That is through prayer. You want to know how else you can do it? By coming to church and fellowshipping with the people of God. See, if you're not doing these things, I'm going to share with you, Garbage in is garbage out. These are the things that God wants you to do. This is how you feed the Spirit. This is how these things happen. And this has to be a desire from you. God will never force you. And that's what's so amazing. And this is that amazing love that we've been talking about. You know, I've shared this with you. The two natures that we have within us. And I love this story, it's from Billy Graham. He talks about this Eskimo fisherman. How this Eskimo fisherman comes into town every Saturday and he has two dogs. He has a white dog and he has a black dog. And both these dogs fight on command. And what he would do is he would take bets. And as he would take bets, he would always win. And they asked him, how is it that you always win? He says, because I starve one and I feed the other. The one that wins is the one that I feed. If you want to have victory in the Lord, you need to be feeding yourself with the spiritual things, with the spiritual food. None of this can happen apart from it. If you're not reading, praying, if you're not fellowshipping, you know what? You're going to be like those that you hang out with. we hang out with God, we're going to be like God. You become like those you hang out with. You know, Satan's going to come in and he's going to tempt you with the pleasures that appeal to the flesh. And you don't have to yield to his temptations. God has given us the power in it, the power over it. We just need to yield to that power. One thing that I know, and I'm going, to be, I'm going to share this with, it, with you. When you are faced with temptation, understand this. God gives you the power to have victory over it. God always gives you a way of escape. If you yield to that power, you will escape. If you don't, then you will yield to the cravings of your flesh and the temptations of Satan. I want to close with this. God loves you. God showed you his love love for you on the cross, and that is what we're celebrating today. And God says, even in your failures, I still love you. All I want from you is your heart, is your love in return. I'm never going to force you, and I don't want you to think that you need to earn my love or don't think that you stop that I stop loving you. I just want you to have a desire to love me, to please me. Nothing will ever separate my love for you no matter what you do. And with this, we're going to close. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just a reminder, Lord, of, of your love for us and our response to it, Lord. It should be a desire to please you, Lord. It should be a desire, Lord Jesus, to live for you. Lord, you're coming back soon. How much more today than yesterday? If many of us have been fooling ourselves as we're still practicing sin, you can make things right today. You can yield to the Lord. You could surrender to Him. You can place your faith in Him and have a desire to please Him because of everything that He's done for you. You and I will reign with God throughout eternity. We can only do this if our love for Him is real. If there's anyone here that wants to surrender your life to the Lord, to place your faith in Him, maybe you thought you did in the past and you're still practicing sin. God says, I love you. And I'll receive you no matter what. If anybody wants to receive this love, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Before we close, anyone else? I know that the Lord is calling a few others. Don't let the devil keep you from all that God has for you. Don't let the devil convince you that you don't need to do this. If this is you, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else, before we close, amen. Anyone else, anyone else, amen. Remember, God has an everlasting love for you. Nothing that you do will separate His love for you. Nothing that you've done will separate that love. He will forgive you. He will receive you. He will accept you. He will make you righteous. He will justify you. He will sanctify you. He will, he will, you will be glorified in and through Him. You will receive these new bodies. He will give you all of this. But you must believe in Him. You must place your faith in Him. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up, Lord. They love you, Lord. And they're responding to your love, Lord. They know that it first started with you, Lord. And this is a response to it, Lord. They're acknowledging that they've fallen short and they need you. And as they raise their hand, as they humble themselves before everyone here, we know that you will receive them and you will be glorified in and through them. Help them, Lord, as they leave this place. Remind them of the things that they should be doing of feeding the Spirit and not their flesh, of wanting and desiring you, not because they have to, but because they want to. May the spiritual man live. That old man has been crucified when they raised her hand. And the new man that lives is the one that walks out of this place. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.